right, let's take our Bibles, and we are going to go to the book of 1 John. It's been a couple of weeks since we've uh, talked through this book, and we're getting to what I think is the key point of this book. It's so important to understand as you study, um, especially New Testament letters, you remember that they were written as full letters to churches, to bodies of believers. For example, when you look at the book of Galatians, it was written to a region of churches. And it was written with a key theme in mind. And the theme of Galatians was to correct the believers who had fallen away from the gospel message, specifically the clarity of the gospel message. They had fallen into legalism. When you look at the book of Hebrews, it is written to Jews as a whole, but it's also for our benefit, but specifically it is written to the Jews to not fall back into the legalistic practices of the law. When you look at Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians, they're all written to different bodies of believers instructing them on specific doctrine. There are things they were doing well, and God through the Holy Spirit wrote through uh, many different authors. Paul is one of the primary ones in the New Testament. But he's writing to them to correct some things that they were doing wrong. And I want you to see that theme here in 1 John. The theme in 1 John is, we have eternal life, therefore let us love one another. This is the theme of this book. It's not a book that's written to get lost people to trust in Christ. Although there are biblical principles which speak to that, and we're going to look at that tonight. But primarily, this is the spiritual gym for the believer. This is working the different muscle groups. 1 John is a book to expose your need for work. You need to do things differently. And we're getting to one of the most important parts of this book, and I think we are going to break it into two different studies. We'll look at this tonight. We'll look at the first part, and then next week we'll finish up in chapter 4. But if you remember, John has just made a very, very clear set of instructions to believe not every spirit. Now, he doesn't mean for the believers to go and, and try to contact spirits that are outside of you know, this world, you know, the demonic realm, the spiritual realm where there is wickedness and it abounds. He's not talking about that. He's talking about messengers. Okay, these are people that have messages which do not yield to eternal life. John is instructing them to be careful. Even if they say they're of us, you can run a test to see, are they of us? Now, this is where a lot of people camp out and they say, okay, so we should be able to look at a person, specifically their works, and see an evidence of their faith. We talked about how it's more important to look at their words and not their works. What do they say about Jesus Christ? What do they say about his incarnation? What do they say about him as a necessary atonement for sin? If it doesn't match up with what the scripture says, then you need to mark and avoid. Now tonight we're going to talk about love, and naturally, you already have an idea of what love looks like, okay? You have an idea of what love looks like as you grew up. Your parents loved you. Then as you began to meet new people and, and find things that you had in common with others, 
You saw love as somebody who's on the same page as you, somebody who agrees with what you agree with, and, and you just have a common fellowship together. Then as you get older and you get introduced to the world and its ways, love becomes something that is in, you know, it, it, it's a physical action. The act of, you know, a sacrifice for somebody, you know, doing something for the other person instead of yourself, sexual love, all these different things come into play. But there is one demonstration of love that defines it, and that's what the scripture makes a plea for tonight. As we go through this study, there should be an overarching theme. If you do not have love for one another, then you are not walking with the Lord, period. You cannot split these two. I remember doing counseling early on in my ministry, and I'm talking about counseling with teenagers. And, you know, I'm not a licensed counselor at all. People ask me, what are my credentials? I say, the Word of God. I'm just going to tell you what this says, and you need to make a decision about you're going to do what the Bible says, or you're going to do what you want to do. And folks, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> if, you, if you rewind as far as you can in your life, you, you started very early as a child to put your desire over the instructions of your parents. I mean, do we have perfect kids here tonight? <laughs> Was there anyone in here that uh, had no disciplinary issues at all? You, you just were perfect all the time? No. Very early on, kids learn what I want to do is what I want to do, and what anyone else wants me to do is underneath that. And it just, it just continues. That doesn't change, okay? People are still doing what they want to do, and then now they're telling God, hey, I'm going to do what I want to do, and you've got to agree with that. Careful. You need to be careful with that. But as we're getting into our study, you're going to find this theme. Love, love, love. And you can't split it. Well, I do love, however, this is a set of circumstances that excuses me from love, particularly in this situation. That's a problem. Because we should be able to look at the situation that you exclude yourself from your responsibility to love. We should be able to say, oh, Jesus shouldn't love in that situation either. And let me ask you a question. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, was he dying for perfect people? The best of us still fell short of God's standard for perfection. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Man of sorrows, yes, that was his name. But uh, what a Savior we have in Jesus Christ. That he humbled himself, was obedient even unto death on the cross. And he will be lifted high, his name will be uh, the name above every name as it already is, but there will be a day when everyone on this planet bends their knee and confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day is not here yet. So the way that we love is of the utmost importance. I have seen, as I was telling you with counseling, I see this bitterness start early in people. It starts when they're a teenager. And it really comes from a lack of parenting. And why does it all come back to parenting? Because the parent's responsibility is to show love to their children. That's how they'll know God's love, by how the parents love them. Here's what it's not. You give the kid whatever they want. That's not love. That's abuse to some extent. Here's what it's also not. You reason with the child to come to a, a conclusion that you're both on the same page with. Here's love. The parent sets the standard and then demonstrates the standard. And there's a lot of Christians who get that. They understand setting the standard, but they live as hypocrites. And it, it poisons their children. I can't tell you how many times I have talked to people, adults, 
that say, I don't do that church thing. Why? What do you think their next statement is? Something along the lines of, there's a bunch of hypocrites there. And you know what? They're right. They're totally right. Because for some reason, we have in this mind, rules for you, but not for me. You know, we tell our kids to keep clean communication and to, to avoid any bad language coming out of their mouths, but then they hear us on the phone with our friends and our, you know, whatever, whoever, we watch programs with filthy language all over it. That, kids can't settle that in their minds because they look at you as the authority, but then guess what? You don't do what you told them to do. That's a problem. And people think it's cute nowadays. Here's, here's what else is not good parenting. Being your kids' friends. That's, that's very prominent, specifically, I see it a lot, in Spanish culture. We want our kids to love us, and, and so in order for us to love us, we got to be on the same level, and we're going to cut up together. I have, uh, I, I've talked to kids that came through Youth Ranch that would go out and look for dates with their moms. That's, how, that's what they would consider to be fun on a Friday night. There's a problem there. There's a huge problem there. What are we teaching our kids? And I'm, I'm going I'm to make the case for you tonight how what we cover is God, again, demonstrating his perfection, not just as a savior, not just as our mediator, but also as our heavenly father. He disciplines in perfect love. Proper discipline in a, in, in a family structure is the standard is set. The child knows the standard. There is a consequence that is told. If you break the standard, this will happen. Life goes on, the standard is broken. This is the testing point. This is where the question is asked to mom and dad, how much do you love your kids? Because the consequence you now said was a result of breaking the standard needs to be done, whatever that may be. You know what parents do? I'll give you a warning. I'll give you a second warning, a third warning, and then they end up like people in Congress. No, we need term limits. Before you know it, they are on a permanent warning. They're living their lives in a warning state. It, God sets the standard for us. He demonstrates the standard. And now he can look at us without any hypocritical bone in his body and say, do as I have done. Do as I have done. So let's see that. We're in verse 7 tonight. And hopefully we'll get to verse 11. No, that's not a gas station pun. It's just the way it happened. Look what it says there in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Now, I want you to pay attention to what is said there. That is a command. It's not something that you do if you can. Are there places in the Scripture where there are things to be done as you are able? Yes. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, the person who is unmarried has a different set of responsibilities than the one who is in marriage. Those responsibilities change. So it would be wrong for the unmarried person to set standards and execute judgment on the married person because the married person has a different set of responsibilities. So there are things in Scripture where there's a command for some and there's a command for others. This one here, we need to understand who is us. Who is us? It's the theme of these next few verses. Us equals the body of Christ, believers. Let us love one another. 
I love how the next few words are not because God said so. He could have very easily said that. Could have very easily said, well, why? Because I told you to do it. And that would be sufficient. But I believe because God loves us and wants us, he wants us to succeed. I was doing some marriage counseling the other day for a couple that's looking to get married. And I told them, I said, you know, God wants your marriage to succeed. You don't have to be overwhelmed by bearing all the weight. I got to make this thing right. I got to be, just trust the Lord and work his plan and he'll come, it'll, it'll be just fine. I believe that God wants us to do this. He's not, he's not giving this to us for the intent of tripping us up, causing problems so we're not able to do what he's asked us to do. What are the next few words? There are some, there are some reasons why, some pictures that are going to be painted. For love is of God. The very concept of love is from God. You'll see how that is. That's the first reason. And the second reason is, everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. As you walk in the Spirit, this will be a byproduct of your spirit nature. You will love. Now, people get into a gray area there, and I can see why. Because we're so hard on evidence after belief to determine eternal life, because that's not what the Bible teaches. And that's not what I'm teaching either. What I am saying is, you cannot walk in the Spirit without loving. And if you call anything else outside of love, walking in the Spirit, you're in error with God. And you remember how important that was in our study? This is, a long t- this is week 13 that we're in this study. So I want to go back to 1 John very quickly in chapter 1 and show you the progression of delusion. <laughs> when we lie to ourselves, what happens? Starting there in verse 5, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, now stop for a moment. You see where it says fellowship with him? This is the same principle that is taught when it says, knoweth God. I'm getting ahead in my notes, but we're already discussing this, so let me just read this statement to you. You need to understand the difference between a position and a condition. And that's not fancy preacher talk uh, because it rhymes. This is the truth, okay? Positionally, where are we? We're in Christ. Why? Because we have put our faith in him as a sufficient payment for all of our sins. Specifically, his shed blood at Calvary. We believe, we receive eternal life. We are placed in him. What is our condition? The condition is how you respond to obedience. Condition is walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. Can a believer live in their flesh nature? Yes. We know that because of all the New Testament books that were written. They were all correcting sinful behavior, misapplication of doctrine. Can a believer walk in the Spirit? Absolutely. Is there fruit as a product of that walking in the Spirit? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. This is how people go on into Christian maturity. When you plant a tree and you're expecting it to bear fruit, as it grows, it bears what? 
fruit. You're not going to have a tree that is bustling with life but has no fruit. There's a problem there. Something's not right. Can you have a tree that is in good ground, in good soil, yet it doesn't grow? Yes, that can happen. Something along those lines is wrong. Doesn't mean it's not a tree. It is a tree. It just doesn't produce fruit. It doesn't have any profit. And so the believer's in the same situation. Their condition fluctuates. Their position is already done. They are a believer. There's nothing their condition can do to inform their position. I want to make sure you understand that. Because when it says here, we have fellowship with him, this is the believer that says, I, have, I know God. Not in a salvific sense, but I'm walking with him. I've got fellowship with him. And walk in darkness, look what it says. We what? Lie. You know, that's one of the first things we learn to do as children. Lie. I don't know why it is, but I take lying really seriously. We shouldn't lie. It, it erodes trust so quickly. And it's funny nowadays to, to be deceitful. I don't, I don't get it. it. It absolutely ruins people's trust. How many of you have been lied to? How many of you have been lied to in a, in, in, in a state where it has broken your trust? It's painful, is it not? You trust this person, and then they, they just totally abandon that trust and hurt you. That's difficult. Well, God feels the same way about it. We lie if we say, I got fellowship, but I'm walking in darkness. You see the two natures here? We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about a person's walk. And do not the truth, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin. So this is going beyond the fact of, I've got fellowship, but I'm walking in darkness. Now you're saying, oh, well, my sin is, it, it's, I don't have any sin. What happens now? What's the result of that? We deceive ourselves. So first we lie to the, to, to, to the ones who are seeing. Then we deceive ourselves. Then verse 10 comes into play. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Folks, this goes, it's a very slippery slope, but it's, it's very fast. You go from lying to lying to yourself to now calling God a liar because he's called it sin. And you're saying it's not. Somebody's wrong here. And may I give you a hint? It's not God. Because his word says he cannot lie. So something's wrong here. What's the motivation behind a lie? It's pride. That you are so masterful in your deception that you can trick a person into believing something that is not the truth. You can't do that with God. You cannot do that. So now we go back to 1 John 4, and we see where it says here in verse 7, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Meaning we can't even show proper love to one another if we're not first saved. We put our faith in Christ. We have that new spirit. Now we can love through that new nature. Uh, not new spirit, that, that new nature. It goes a step further even as you love, as God has loved, you'll be able to know God in a closer way. Now look at verse 8. He that loveth not 
God, excuse me, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And I, I waited for a moment before we compared these two statements. Look in verse 7. For love is of God, and then in verse 8, it's even further. For God is love. The whole basis for the instruction, what was the command that is given in verse 7 and will be wrapped up in verse 11? What is the command? Let us love one another. I, I wrote this here in my notes. God's love is the basis for the or the foundation for the command to love one another. Uh, division among the true body of Christ, and what I mean by true body of Christ is those who are saved. Doesn't matter what your condition is, you're a part of the body if you put your faith in Christ. Division among the true body of Christ does not yield God's love, so it is in disobedience to what he has commanded us to do. Problems should be resolved quickly and remain solved. But do you know what we still have, folks? We still have a rotten, wicked, sinful nature that carries around hurt. And I, and I get that. I understand that. I have gone through that myself, and it has been a process of, yes, verbally, you've been forgiven, but there are still emotions and pain that come up every now and again that I'd have to deal with. You know how I deal with those? If Jesus loved them, I can too. I'm instructed to do so. And even though this is hard and I might not know how to do it, I know if I choose to do it, he's going to give me what is needed for it to come to pass. This is like riding a bike. How many of you got on a full-size bike the first time you rode a bike? Nobody. Hardly anybody. There might be one of you superhero people out there. But most of the time, you got mom and dad or, or aunt and uncle, somebody, right alongside you. You even got an extra set of wheels. Keep that thing going straight and not sideways. And you learn. And the wheels come off, you fall, and it hurts. And you get back on, and you keep going, and you keep going. And if you've got good, loving parents, they're going to walk you through the whole process. Boy, that's the instruction to love. Because sometimes the training wheels come off, and you've got to learn it. It's not natural to love. You know that? The only thing it is natural to do is to love yourself and the things that you want to do. But God has instructed us to do it. So he's not going to sit there with his arms crossed expecting us to do something that he has not demonstrated already. And that's the point that I want to make here. God does not ask his children to do something that he has not already done. He is not a hypocrite. He is a perfect father. He sets the standard and then demonstrates it. By the way, those of you who might be listening and you've, you've got kids, whatever, those in the internet, I know there's some in the audience here tonight. This is the way that you love your kids. You set the standard, and you expect the standard to be met, but you demonstrate what it is. I've seen a lot of pastor's kids revolt. As a matter of fact, it's a, it's a, a label that gets put on these kids. Oh, they're a PK. That's what they call them, pastor's kid. And they say it with that tone. You know what tone I'm talking about. Oh, they're a PK. Oh, they're going to be trouble. I don't, I, that just is really sad. You know why that is? Because there are a lot of pastors that love their ministry and show their love for their ministry more than their kids. They tell their kids, God is love and you need to do this, you need to do that. But you know what? They don't love their kids by being there, by setting the standard and then demonstrating it. I want to do that for my kids. I want to set the standard and then demonstrate it. 
And you know what? I have a responsibility as the man of my family to be present with my family. Oh, but the ministry, the ministry. I'm supposed to bring people into this ministry to come alongside me, and I'm not, I don't bear that weight alone. That's why you should pray for the leaders of this church. They're helping this whole thing go. It's been really nice the last few weeks to have Pastor John come and then Dr. Arnold. It's been really nice to hear sound biblical preaching. It's also given me an opportunity to prepare for the next six months that are coming up. I shouldn't have to be doing everything on my own. I shouldn't expect my kids to try to learn everything on their own because dad told me to. I should demonstrate it to them. That's love. And there's going to come a time when they break that standard and there has to be discipline. Well, that's not nice. It's not about being nice. It's about doing what is necessary so that when they leave the house, they'll obey God the first time. They won't have to make mistakes. Granted, they will, but it's not something they have to do to learn. They learned it at home. They learned how to do the right thing at home. That's love, folks. It's work. Love is not word. It is action. Specifically, unconditional commitment. When I was getting ready to get married, a lot of people had a lot of different thoughts about all that. <laughs> Too young, don't know what I'm doing, had not, didn't have enough money. By the way, all those things were true. And I'd like to meet a person who's ready for marriage. I haven't met one yet. But all those things were true. But I remember some of the advice I got was from my uncle. He very expressly told me, Jesse, if you love Kyla, you'll make a commitment to her. And that's more than just, oh, celebrating anniversaries and being lovey-dovey and all that stuff. He asked me, am I ready to commit the rest of my life in care for her? And of course, you say yes, right? You know, no, yes. But then my head hits the pillow that night, and I'm burning a hole in the ceiling like I always do. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going, am I ready for this? Am I ready to make that kind of commitment? The only person I could look to was not another man with a great marriage. Is Jesus on the cross. That's all the commitment that I need to see in how to love my wife. That's it. You'll see that in the scripture tonight. The love that he demonstrated is the love that I should demonstrate. And I'm so thankful he gave us something to look towards. That he gave us an example to follow. Let's look and continue here into verse number 9. We need to read verse 9 through 11 as a set, and then we'll break it down. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Now, we're going <laughs> to, I told you we are going to read it all together. We can't. we got to stop for a second. When it says toward us, okay, you've got to remember the audience here is believers. So in the realm of interpretation, this is saying, believer, this is how that love was made known. That word manifest, I think we all Know it, but we need to be refreshed on it. It means, literally, to be made known, okay? For those of you, I'm sure even Trent deals with stuff like this, being working in delivery. You probably have a manifest or something that shows you what you're delivering, okay? And if it's not you, it's somebody at FedEx who is like, this box contains this product, okay? The whole point of that piece of paper is to make known what is not easily seen in the package. So when it says manifested here, it means God's love, the, the package is unpacked, and here's what's in it. Here's what it is. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. 
Salvation now is in play here. And a person can read that, understand it, and get saved. Specifically, though, this is telling believers, you want to see the love that you need to demonstrate? You look to the cross. You look to Jesus. Why? That we might live through Him. The whole reason why we're placed positionally in Him is for us to live through Him. We're not supposed to stay little babies, never growing. That's a waste of a life, is it not? Grow up into spiritual maturity. Hebrews says it a little bit stronger. Stiff-necked. You ever met a stiff-necked person? And I'm not talking about you slept wrong. I'm talking about everything you say. There's those three words, those three letters, but, B-U-T. Yeah, I'll do it, but it busts in the room and just, you're like, here we go. Oh, I get that for them, but for me, guys, there's a lot of Bible studies going on where people go and they interpret the scripture that way. This is what they say. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? Uh, forget what it means to you. What does God say it means? Because people insert their butt, not with an extra T. The B-U-T. The whoop, the modifier. However, then that becomes a problem. But we see here that the love is demonstrated through Jesus Christ. That we might live through Him. Anybody who tells you you need to grow up off the gospel, you show them 1 John 4, 9. And you tell them lovingly, you need to get back on it. We don't move off the gospel. Oh yeah, that's what I used to do. That's what we always do. Verse 10, it goes even further. Herein is love. So if we can say herein is love, and verse 8 says for God is love, we can essentially say this is God. You want to see what God is? So many people are looking for God. We were just, my wife and I were just talking to Shelby about this the other day. They're looking in all the places. You'd be surprised what's five minutes away from here. It would shock you what's five minutes away from here. Probably happening tonight. Bunch of people doing a bunch of things that do not lead them to God. And you go, in Tampa? Yeah. I found a card in the library. I don't know where it was from. Maybe from an ESL student. I'm not sure. Advertising a CBD shaman. Oh, come get high and we'll give you a witch doctor. There's no way that that's here. That's got to be from a different country. They have an 813 area code, folks. I've already saved the number. I'm probably going to call them this week and try to see where, where do they stand on Jesus Christ. Maybe there's somebody praying for that person to hear the gospel. But it's happening. Love is not a feeling. It's not something you get when you, when, when you get high or you get drunk or you just escape your, you know, your problems. Herein is love. So herein is God, verse 10. Not that we loved God. Boy, that puts a lot of worship songs to bed. A lot of worship songs to bed. I don't like saying that I'm worthy. I'm not worthy of anything. I'm valuable. Not because I've ascribed that valuable to myself, but God says that I'm valuable. And the same for you. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. I wonder how that is. 
and here's the Bible again, setting the standard, demonstrating it, and sent his son to be the, and there's that word again, propitiation for our sins, the satisfactory substitutionary for our sins. He stood in our place. If that doesn't get you going, if you can't think about that and see the absolute, all capital letter, beauty in that statement, I don't know what else there is for you. I really don't. Because that's the most beautiful scripture that's, that's all beautiful. But that right there is our, is our whole purpose for gathering. And we devalue it with all this sugary stuff that goes to emotion. It's not an emotion, folks. It's an action. You want to love each other? Show that love. Be present in people's lives. Not just to check a box, but because you truly care about them. Your mindset will change. And yeah, you will feel different because you're in line with what the Spirit wants to do. Continue to what, um, or, uh, let, me, let me show you in a couple other places here. You know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, lines up with what is just said here. But look in Romans chapter 5. Hold your spot in 1 John. Move on over to Romans chapter 5. As we're getting there, it's so funny that at this, you know, I'm getting to this point in the message and all of a sudden, I always make this joke that one of these nights my notes are going to die. Literally, I'm on like 2%. <laughs> so I'm going to see real quick here. Oh, Trent, I can do it. I can send it to the printer real quick from here. Can you grab it off the printer just in case? Because there's some quotes in here that I want to make sure we go through. John, or Romans chapter 5, look there in verse 8. Thank you, Trent. But God commendeth, and that word means demonstrated, his what? Love toward us. Now we should be able, this should line up with what we just read in 1 John, if there's no private interpretation of the scripture. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want to show you two things there. Number one, while we were yet sinners, there is nothing you have to do to clean up or prepare yourselves for salvation. Come as you are. You're ready if you just want to, you just believe. <laughs> There's no prerequisites that have to happen. I pardon my emotion there that's just that's you that's us aren't you glad there were no conditions that had to be met no trial that had to be performed he simply just said i paid for your sins will you believe nothing more beautiful than that much more than expounding upon that being now justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath how through him thank you trent through him. Verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He came back from the dead. This is why it's important, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. This is why in 1 Corinthians it says, if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, we would be miserable. Why? Because we'd have no payment for our sin. This is so important to recognize. And verse 11, and not only so, but we also joy in God. Here's the three stages, folks. Look up here for a moment. Before you got saved, God loved you. 
When you got saved, in love, he puts you in Christ. After you've got saved, you can have joy through his love. There's the Christian life right there from birth until transition. I don't like to say death, but we get translated from this body into a new one. Amen? That's what happens the moment that we die. We join through our Lord Jesus Christ, finishing verse 11, by whom we have now received the, not a, but the atonement, the covering, the only one you'll ever need, the full covering for your sin. That's the motivation, folks. It's love. It's nothing else. It's not a strong man. And you know what? You know, 50 years ago, when you know, conservative Christianity was really on the rise, you know what was happening? People were building an altar to men, to other men. Oh, I like this guy. He's strong on the word. How about we like the word? We like that guy because he teaches the word. It's happening again today with the new independent fundamental Baptist movement. There's men for who for a first time, it's very refreshing, teach the word, they're hard on sin, but they build an, an idol to themselves. I've seen whole series dedicated in the new IFB movement to slandering another believer because they don't believe in a specific doctrine, a non-essential, I would say. That's not love. That ain't love at all. Are you asking your congregation to serve Jesus or serve the pastor? You don't serve me. You have no responsibility to serve me. By the way, some very important lessons to learn about worship. When Jesus was given worship, when somebody bowed down before him and gave worship, he received it because he's God and he's worthy of it. But when the apostles who were performing the same miracles as Christ received worship, they got down on the level and said, hey, get up. For I am a man like you. We worship God. Boy, somebody better tell that to the conservative Christianity today. Because there's a bunch of pastors and pulpits saying, worship, worship me. And that's a problem. What fixes that? Love. Can you love a brother who's erred from the faith? You should. Absolutely you should. All right, we're running out of time. Surprise, surprise. Let's finish up in 1 John here. We only have a couple more points before we're, uh, we're done this evening. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, and the if here is hypothetical, it's building off of what was already said in verse 7. It says, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You see how that wraps up real nicely? You have verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. And then at the end of verse 11, we ought also to love one another. Sadly today, that love, you know, it's, it's been hijacked, right? You, I'm doing mar uh, marital counseling right now, premarital counseling. And in my discussion, I'm making it really clear that, you know, there's going to be days, there will be days when it is hard to be with your spouse. And, you know, that's because of sin, you know, because of a lack of forgiveness, Sometimes people like to make fun of that. You know, like, yeah, there's going to be days when you hate your wife. You shouldn't. You really shouldn't. But there will be days where your flesh gets in the way. But praise God, your marriage is not built off of how you feel in your flesh. 
Your marriage is built off of a commitment between you and your spouse, verified before God and many witnesses. You're not married because the government says so. You're married because God said that's what it's supposed to be doing. And you love your wife by you, you sacrifice for her. You love your husband by sacrificing for him. And it doesn't mean, oh, honey, I'll do the, the trash this week. Oh, my wife, she really loves me, you know. Does the trash for me. <laughs> cool. That's not love. You pray for your spouse? I see a lot of times in marriages, it's like waiting for the person to fall. Waiting for the mistake and then going, look at that mistake. What a horrible home to live in. Does that encourage anybody? You wonder why, you know, all, you know marriages are ending in divorce. Because people aren't for one another. And Yankee uses this illustration. It's like in marriages, there's like a war chest for each person in the marriage. And every wrongdoing is a grenade. And people put the grenade away, and they put the grenade away. And then the moment, the day, when there's an opportunity, they open the war chest, grab the grenade, pull the pin, and they say, but you remember this? <laughs> and then Yankee would say, and then the war began. It's sad that it's that way, but you know, why does it end up that way? Because people go off of how they feel. They get married off how they feel. I want to marry this person because they make me feel good in the way they look. They make me feel good in the things that we have in common. They've done some things for me, and I feel good when I do things for them. But the moment that stops, they're actually told, well, you know, if they're not right for you, 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 you can leave. You can leave, girl. Dude, you got to leave. This isn't right for you, man. She's not right. You're going to change. God doesn't. And that's the standard that he set. When it says love here, it's not just love and service. I wrote this down in my notes. This is what we should replicate with the lost and with other believers. It should be evident in our marriages and in our mannerisms. We should parent from this demonstration of love. We should be faithful when, or, or uh, be obedient when we're at work under the instruction of another person. How do we love that person? We're obedient. We're timely. We meet the requirements that are set. Do the same thing with our government, folks. Doesn't matter if you don't like the president. It, that, that doesn't matter. Romans 13 is really clear. Submit yourself to the higher power. I did a video a long time ago. You remember this? Trent and I were recording this when we were in our office, which, by the way, is just kind of mind-blowing to see how much has happened since then, right? Like, <laughs> crazy how the Lord is, is just doing great things, uh, you know, because of his word. But we recorded a video. Somebody said, when do I disobey my government? Well, you disobey your government when what your government is asking you to do is in conflict with what God has told you to do. But let me be very clear. You're ready to take the punishment for what that disobedience brings. You need to be ready for that. There's going to come a time, folks, where believers will be imprisoned because they do not take the mark. And they're not being imprisoned for a trial in which their sentence will be given in, in, in the form of, of years. They'll be put to death. They need to, that's something that has to be accepted. We shouldn't have this Rambo idea of Christianity where we're going to light the government up because we disagree with it. There are believers right now who are suffering for their faith. Praise the Lord as a result of it. God is magnified through it. Love in everything, it, it permeates everything that we do. 
I want, to, I want you to uh, take a note here on the three types of love that we see in the Greek language. There, two of these are used primarily in Scripture. One of them can be translated to be used in Scripture, but it's not commonly found. It's actually seen as another word. But I want you to see these three words for love. You can close your Bibles as we've come to the end of this portion of the study. But every time we saw the word love tonight, we saw the last definition I'm going to give you of love. And it's the, o- the only kind of love that God can demonstrate. The first one is phileo love, and that's spelled P-H-I-L-E-O, phileo love. This is to be a friend to or brotherly love. I don't have many close friends, but of the close friends that I do have, we experience this kind of love for one another. It's caring concern. It's being present. It's praying for one another. This is how most of us should love lost people in a caring concern matter. There's the second kind of love, eros, which is where we get the word erotic from, so you know what that means. Okay, and this is what a lot of people say is the only love today. Remember where I said, oh girl, he's not right for you. Dude, you need to leave her, blah, blah, blah. You know why people come to that conclusion? Because they don't have that burning desire of sexual love anymore. It's not there. You ever wonder why? It's a joke now when an older man marries a younger woman. The reason why he does that is because he's only after one thing. The burning desire of lust, a sexual desire. That's not how we're supposed to love our wives only, love our husbands only. It's a part. Then you have the last one here, which is agape. And that is spelled, by the way, eros, E-R-O-S, eros. And you'll see that translated as lust many times in the scripture. And by the way, lust in the scripture does not only mean, you know, of that kind. But then you have the last one here, which is agape. And that is spelled A-G-A-P-E. This is unconditional love. This is the instruction that we are to have for one another. The only condition that we see in Scripture placed on how we're to treat other brothers of Christ is when they err from the truth. That's it. And even then, we go to great lengths to resolve the division. It's not just a one-and-done thing. There are great lengths and instructions in Scripture. Yes, church discipline is a thing, and that comes into play. And then once those things come into play, the result, there needs to be separation. 1 Corinthians 5 is the perfect example. I had a man tell me one time, you cannot show me in the Bible where there is church discipline. In his mind, what's church discipline? The pastor disciplining someone because he does something the pastor doesn't like. That's not church discipline. We teach the word of God. Somebody violates the word of God. We bring it to their attention multiple times. Then it produces an action. If someone does not want to get right with God, we know from 1 Corinthians 11, that's why people in the ministry are sick and they are weak and they die because of unconfessed sin. So there's a time where you say, listen, if you don't want to get right, this is not the place for you. Well, that's not love. Yes, it is love, folks. Because you know what the other alternative is? You just let everybody do what they want. And guess what? Welcome to the church of Corinth. How can we serve you today? Oh, uh, on the menu is Paul's first letter. You'll really like it. (laughs) 
A lot of things that were addressed there. Agape love is an unconditional love. Unconditional commitment. And what is our picture for that? Here in His love. Not that we loved Him, but that He loved us. That's the picture, folks. And that's the, that's the solution for everything. And I just want to say respectfully, if that's not enough for you, I want to ask this again respectfully, why not? And what you're going to find is you have some unresolved issues. Something you have not reconciled between you and God needs to get right. Because that's God said that's what the key is. It's love. Can you win a soul to Christ and not love them? Sure. Can you produce a disciple and not love them? Sure. How do you change those things? You love them and you're doing it effectively. That's how ministries really thrive and flourish. When there's a demonstration of godly love. You build an altar to a man, when the man dies, the altar crumbles. <laughs> you give reverence to God, he'll never crumble. He's always there as the stable example. And, and that's for you and I to replicate. We don't look at that and go, oh, awesome. Yes, God. Mm-hmm. But then we don't actually show it to the world. We actually go to a lost person and say, can you stay away? I'm loving God. You stay over there. Can I introduce you to James chapter 2? Be warmed and filled, but don't come in here. Stay out there. <laughs> what does it profit? You want to see a faith that's dead? It's a faith that has no works. It has no profit to the lost man. Somebody maintain good works to reach you. It's true. They loved you enough and were obedient to God enough to reach you with the gospel. Doesn't matter necessarily how they did it, but you received it, amen? And we praise the Lord for that. Now next week we're going to talk about a really interesting statement that's there in verse 12, and we'll talk about that moving into, prayerfully, the end of that section. And then we go into 1 John 5, and there's a lot of good stuff there. Case for the Trinity, uh, the law of two witnesses, there's so much that is there. It's really good stuff that, that, that you're going to see. And I always encourage you, even if you're online, I know not everybody can be here on Sunday evenings, but watch the replays. Trent is very faithful to upload those. Sermon audio, you can go to our First John series. You can hear all 12 messages that have already been done. And you can subscribe to it as well to get notifications. I'm going to let this hand represent you, me, and everybody in the world. And I'm going to let my wallet represent sin. And I'm going to let this hand represent Jesus Christ. Here in his love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and was the propitiation for our sin. You see the illustration there? Love is not, oh, I'm going to do this and that, God, to, to, to get eternal life and pay for my sin. I like having this wallet empty because it's an illustration of there's no form of works that could ever pay for our sin. This sin is causing separation. The wages of it is death and hell. But God loved us, and he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why it's called good news. I actually just repeated myself. That's the good news of the good news. That's what the word gospel means. Well, what's the good news? You can save 15% or more, but no. You can be forgiven of all your sins. The sins that separate you from God, you can be forgiven. How? How do I get that? Whosoever believeth in him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. And not only is that the way that you're born into eternal life, it is the command for how you serve him. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That last instruction. God said, do you, Jesus said, do you agape love me? Peter, yea, Lord, I phileo love you. Peter, do you agape love me? Yes, Lord, I phileo love you. Peter, do you phileo love me? Jesus used the word for love that, Je that, that Peter did. And that's why Peter broke down in tears. Because he knew his love for the Lord had to grow. He still had a ways to go. But isn't it good that Jesus still asked him three times? He didn't give up on him. <laughs> he didn't say, I'm going to go to somebody else. You don't get it. Now he was patient. So patient. And God is patient with us. I can tell you story after story of people that have trusted Christ on their deathbed. The very last moment. And instead of looking at it and saying, oh, what a waste of a life. I say, look at the patience of God. Look at the long suffering of God. But if you hear this message today and you don't know where you're going when you die, don't wait because you don't know when your last day is. Put your faith in Jesus Christ today and you'll receive as a free gift everlasting life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, not for effect or emotion, but just to give privacy in this moment. If that message of the gospel made sense to you tonight and you know, before today, you never really understood what you needed to do to get to heaven. Maybe you were trusting in yourself or a pastor or a specific church or a religion to save you. Maybe you're trusting in your good works that that would be enough. Friend, you, you can see where good works can't save us. Ephesians 2.9 says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. You can have the free gift of everlasting life right now by simply placing your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That finished work being his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Believe on him and you receive eternal life. If that makes sense, would you let me know? Pastor, I, I, I just placed my faith in the Lord and I'll pray for you. Just raise your hand and let me know. Anyone at all before we close? For those that are watching on the live stream, you can write us, email us, info at calvaryoftampa.org. We'd love to celebrate with you. Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. Is there evidence in your life of love? And I'm not talking about evidence that other people can see. Can God verify that? This is an opportunity to get right with him, folks. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not a doctrine of Calvary Community Church. That's the Bible, 1 John 1, 9. And we're commanded to love one another. Do you have bitterness? Do you have unresolved issues with a believer or maybe with God? Get it right with him tonight. Don't wait for someone else to do something. Father, thank you so much for the very clear instruction that you set in Scripture, the standard and then the demonstration of the standard. Father, I pray we're never found lacking with Jesus Christ. I, I pray that there's never a moment where we feel like we need more than what we already have in him. Bless the Iwana program. Bless all the programs that are going on between now and our midweek service. Lord, I, I think of baby Cecilia. I pray for her and her parents. I also think of my neighbor's daughter, Angelica, difficulties with her pregnancy. I think of Dr. Polson's uh, niece, Christy, who's at the end of her life. And I just I pray for those 
things to come to pass according to your will. A salvation for them, but also peace and comfort. Bring us back here safely for our midweek service. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.